Well, again, good morning, everyone. Hey, listen, before we dive into the text today, I want to give you an update on our reopening plan. Um, Many of you have asked, hey, when are we going to get together? And the answer is as soon as it is wise to do so. This past week, we sent out a an email to everyone who's a part of the church. All of our members, you should have received one. And in it, there is information about our current multi-phase reopening plan. By the way, we are right now in phase one of that plan. And if you want to know all the details and see the chart and everything else, you can see that either in that email or by going to our website at clearcreekcoc.org backslash reopen. A lot of great info there. I'd encourage you to check it out. But let me give you three quick things about our reopening. First, we are seeking wisdom from area, uh, local and state officials, from health experts as well as other large churches, meaning we're not making decisions in a vacuum. We are seeking guidance, and we're trying to work through this from the smartest people around. Number two, uh, we are having to reevaluate things almost on a daily basis. And so if we are having to readjust some of the plan, we just ask your patience and gentleness as we try to lead forward in the best way possible. And number three, just remember that the first church did not begin in a big building, but in a house. When God's spirit shows up, the church is able to do what the church is supposed to do. So right there in your living room, at your home, you are the church, and God is going to empower you today to be His hands and feet and do what He's called you to do. So don't wait until we're back together. You go ahead and continue to live like Christ in your family, in your neighborhood, if you're going back to work. And then when we do come together, it will be all the more celebration. Second thing I want to tell you about is that next Sunday is going to be a celebration Sunday. We're going to share a lot of great stories. Things are going to be a little different in our gathering next week, so you don't want to miss it. Next Sunday, May the 24th, is going to be a great day. And finally, we just want to say a very special congratulations to a huge, special group, the Class of 2020. We love you all. We are so proud of you, not just for your accomplishment, but many of you have made this church your church. It's not just your mom and daddy's church. And, uh, you know, you need to know that our hearts have lamented not being able to be with you in this moment. And yeah, we plan to do something special, hopefully in the summer when we can be together, but we still wanted to celebrate right now because this is just, this is your moment. And you, along with every other person in the class of 2020, have a unique moment in history. And although it's yours and it's unique, it's come at a cost. Many of you have not had the prom you thought you'd have. Many of you, when you walk, it's going to be later in the year. And so it's just kind of a weird deal. But we wanted to pause and honor you and thank you for being a part of the Clear Creek Church and how you've made this a better place. Now to the rest of the church, I want to introduce you to some of our seniors in this video. Hi, my name is Leah Gray. I graduated from Pixon High School. I'll be attending Harding University and majoring in nursing. Hello, my name is Meg Priest, and I graduated from Girls Preparatory School. I will be attending University of Tennessee at Knoxville, and I'll be a nursing major. Hey guys, it's Harrison Van Eaton. Uh, I graduated from from Boyd Buchanan this year. 
and I'm planning on going to UTC this fall, and my major is undecided. Hi, my name is Ali Limax. I graduated from Sardesi High School, and I plan to attend UTC and major in exercise science. My name is Lucy Calhoun. I graduated from Single Mountain High School, and I plan to attend the University of Alabama at Huntsville in the fall. I'm majoring in systems engineering and uh, playing soccer. I'm Hannah Ray. I'm graduating from Boyd Buchanan. I'll be attending Samford University, and I'm undecided on my major. Hi, I'm Nikolai Miller. I graduated from Boyd Buchanan, and I will be attending UTC in the fall, and I'll be majoring in English. Hi, I'm Connor Johnson. I graduated from Boyd Buchanan this past year, and I'm planning to go to Chattanooga State Community College to major in computer science. Hey, I'm Sarah Grace Reddick. I'm graduating from Boyd Buchanan High School, and I'm going to UTC, majoring in business management. Hey, I'm Trevor. I graduated from Boyd Buchanan. I'm attending Covenant College next fall and am majoring in history with a minor in education. Hi, I'm Gina Parker. I graduated from Chattanooga State and I plan to attend Sanford University in the fall to major in international relations with a minor in environmental studies. My name is Zoe Pryor and I'll be graduating from Boise County School. I plan on attending the University of Tennessee at Knoxville next fall and plan on majoring in therapeutic recreation. I'm Luke Tucker. I graduated from Boyd Buchanan High School and I'll be attending the University of Tennessee and studying industrial engineering. Hi, my name is Julie Clevenger. I graduated from Boyd Buchanan High School and I plan to attend Stanford University and major in biology. Hey, my name is McKinley Cawthon. I graduated from Hickson High School. I'll be attending the University of Tennessee and I'll be studying biology. Hi, I'm Heisen Jett. I'm graduating from Boyd Buchanan School and I plan on attending Harding University in the fall. Every year at commencement, graduates receive special gifts to commemorate their accomplishment. I recently heard of the most popular gift to be given is actually a book. Uh, Whether you're graduating high school, college, or even kindergarten, there's one book that is given more often at high school and graduations across the country than any other. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to just read a selection from it. And while I do, I want to see if you can identify the author and the title of the book. Are you ready? Here we go. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. And when things start to happen, don't worry. Don't stew. Just go right along. You'll start happening too. You'll be on your way up. You'll see. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. Except when you don't because sometimes you won't. All alone, whether you like it or not, alone will be something you'll be quite a lot. Kid, you'll move mountains. So be your name Bucksbaum or Bixby or Bray or Mordecai Ale Van Allen O'Shea. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. So get on your way. All right, do you know it? Go ahead, share with someone in the room. What's the author, and the title of the book. You got it? Yep. Dr. Seuss, Oh, the Places You'll Go. I love this book. I love it because it is a mix of joyful honesty about life, about the opportunities and the obstacles and how you will have plans and sometimes the world will just take those plans from you. 
And so this morning, I just want to talk to you, whether you're a graduate, a parent, or you are a leader in an industry, the three things that you can hold on to even when you can't hold on to your plans. There are three things, and I, I get these three from the life of an Old Testament man of faith by the name of Daniel. His story begins in Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. But Daniel resolved. I want to give you the three things that you can hold on to when you can't hold on to your plans. The first thing that Daniel held on to was a divine perspective. A divine perspective. For years, the people of Jerusalem had heard the warnings from God's prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, that because of their disobedience, judgment would come. But they didn't believe it. They thought, hey, we're God's people. Nothing bad will happen to us. And they were wrong. Eventually, a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar came to power and his juggernaut of a nation, Babylon, began to expand until it came down to Jerusalem. And in one horrible, horrible event, he began to lay siege to the city until he destroyed it. And everything changed. The plans of the people changed. Now, when we think about Daniel, often we, we have this rosy vision of him. We just remember his successes, the nighttime slumber party with the lions where he didn't become a snack, or his ability to dream and, and interpret dreams, and his leadership and how he was given higher responsibilities in Babylon. Sometimes we fail to remember that all happened later and that he was once a young man in Jerusalem who had plans of his own, dreams to dream, and what he wanted to do. He was most likely in his late teens or early 20s, possibly 18 to 22, the very same age that many of our graduates are right now. He had plans maybe to go to their equivalent of college, to get married, start a job, or maybe take a gap year and uh, travel the world, but then everything changed. And when it did, he had a choice to make. His plans were no longer in his hands, but he did not, hear me now, he held on to a divine perspective. We see the divine perspective in verse 2, because it says here that when Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem, Daniel saw that the Lord gave Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar did not take Jerusalem. Daniel held on to the divine perspective 
that even when things are out of his control, God is still in control. He saw that God is still in control of all of human history. The God of the past is the God of the future. He's the God of the present. And nothing in all of creation happens outside of his presence. So for those of us who are anxious for today or the future, we need to remember what Daniel remembered, which is a divine perspective, a way of seeing things that although our plans may be out of our hands, God is still in control of all of human history. And for those of us who are in Christ, we get to be victors with him. You say, okay, how do I get that kind of perspective? Here's the simple way. Just look at how a small child responds when scared. They cling to their mama and daddy. They go to one who's greater, bigger, stronger, and they just wrap their arms around them. A divine perspective is just going to God and saying, I know that you're big enough to handle what's going on. I'm going to hand you my plans and trust that you can work them out. We go to him in prayer. We go to the promises of scripture. I would encourage you to familiarize yourself with the promises of God to you. There are hundreds of promises from God to you. The first thing, when you can't hold on to your plans, hold on to a divine perspective. The second thing though, Daniel held on to his name. It was the practice of the Babylonians to conquer a people. They did three things. Number one, they came in and they destroyed everything. No temple, no palace, no farms, all gone. Number two, they would take anything valuable back home with them. So the gold from the temple now is commonly used in the temple there in Babylon. And number three, they would deport the very best and brightest from Babylon and indoctrinate them and then send them back to their home countries to be the administrators of Babylon thus propagating Babylon's views and beliefs. So in the year 597, Babylon began a series of deportations of which Daniel and his friends were a part. And they were indoctrinated in the ways of Babylon, the arts, the wisdom, the thinking, the philosophy, everything. And they were to be indoctrinated for three years. Sounds a lot like college, doesn't it? And so they would bring them in and they would train them, hoping to change them. And they wouldn't just change what they taught them. They would change the very names they gave. Because Daniel and his friends were originally, of course, given Hebrew names. And their names had theological significance. Daniel's name meant God is judge. Hananiah's name simply meant our Lord is gracious. Mishael asks the question, who is like God? And Azariah's name means our Lord will help. But then they were given different names, Babylonian names, reflective of the Babylonian gods and identity. Belteshazzar, Daniel's new name means Baal, it gives me life. Shadrach and Meshach are both named after the moon god Aku. And then Abednego is named after Nebo, the god of wisdom. In other words, Babylon is saying, you are no longer Hebrew. You are now controlled and defined by pagan gods, by our gods. But here's what's so incredible. In verse 8, Daniel says, Nope, don't think so. You call me whatever you like, but my identity is in the God of the Hebrews. Because we're told in verse 8 that not Nebuchadnezzar, but Daniel. Daniel. He used his own name. He did not adopt the name of the pagan people. Interestingly enough, If you'll just look through the book of Daniel, not once does Daniel refer to himself as Belteshazzar. Others do, but he always holds on to his name, 
His identity. Your name is who you are. I, I remember growing up hearing often from my parents, Joshua, you are a Diggs. That is who you are. So you live like a Diggs man because you are a Diggs friend. You have been given a new name. And the only one who has the right to name you is the one who either gave you birth or adopted you. And the beautiful promise of Scripture is that God adopted us as His own, and then we are given new birth into Christ Jesus, that you have been buried dead, your old self gone, and God brings you alive, new into His house, and He says, I'm going to name you. I give you a new identity. No plan. No person gets to define who you are. Only the one who gave you your name gets to define who you are. Listen, when you can't hold on to your plans, you hold on to the divine perspective that God is still in charge and you hold on to your identity, the name that you have been given. If you're in Christ, you are a child of God. Daniel held on to the divine perspective. He held on to his name. And number three, Daniel held on to his choices. And you get the chance to do the same because in verse 8, They were required by the decree of the king to eat a particular diet of foods. And Daniel, we're told, resolved not to defile himself with what the king gave. Now, the reason for that is he was Hebrew. He had a particular diet given to him by God that he was supposed to keep. But the king says, no, you have a new diet. Here's what I find so interesting. Before Daniel asks permission not to eat the food, before He's given permission not to eat the food. Before he saw any of the success of not eating the king's food, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. In other words, he knew there would be consequences, but he still held on to his right to choose what is right. Listen, tough times do not give us a right to do bad things. You and I are not victims. Daniel was not a victim. He said, I am God's man. I know who I am because I have a perspective that God is in control, that he has made me to be who I am. He remembered that he had a choice, no matter his circumstances, to do the right thing. Listen, when you cannot control or hold on to your plans, you hold on to the reality that you still have a choice in how you live, how you think, how you behave towards others. It is the most freeing thing to know that you're not a victim. It is the most terrifying and crippling thing to believe that you are controlled by what is happening to you. But if you have lost control of your plans, you hold on to the truth from God that you get to hold on to your choices, that you are not a victim. And then the most beautiful thing begins to happen because Daniel and his friends were faithful. They had a divine perspective. They held on to their names and they held on to their choices. We're told this in verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding. Now notice who gave. God gave. Everything that had been taken from Daniel, God is giving to Daniel. Daniel said, I know that God's in charge. And so God gave. Daniel said, I know who I am. I hold on to that promise from God. And God gave. Daniel said, I will hold on to my choices and do what is right even when it's hard. And God gave. God gave as a result of Daniel and his friends holding on to what they could 
hold on to. God gave them understanding and knowledge, but notice, of all kinds of literature and learning. See, listen, God doesn't give you just spiritual insight. God helps you learn how to navigate your culture. He says, here is what is true within the culture. Here's what's untrue, and I'm going to give you wisdom and insight. Listen, if you're going to college, your teacher is not God. Your God is going to help you, though, interact and make choices so that you can be his person wherever you are. He gave them wisdom and insight of all these things. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And the king talked with them, verse 19, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Notice their names are there. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his kingdom. Because they believed and were faithful to hold on to what they could, God gave what they needed. Here's what I want to end with, and if you don't remember anything else, remember this. If you are a child of God, that even when you cannot hold on to your plans, God is holding on to you, and He will be faithful. Again, we love you. Thank you for being with us this morning. Listen, if there's anything we can do for you, please reach out, let us know. You can contact us at office at clearcreekcoc.org. We'd love to bless you. Also, if you're joining us online, there's a little chat spot there at the church version. You drop us a line. You can be in a private uh, prayer chat with us. But we love you. I'm going to put some prompts up here on the screen, some next steps, because we believe everyone can take a next step. If there's anything we can do for you today or this week, please let us know how we may serve you. But until we see you again, grace and peace to you. God bless.